This episode of Breaking Walls is sponsored by... Are you a maker, doer, dreamer who enjoys their time alone? Who thrives on working solo? Then you might enjoy the Creative Introvert Podcast. Every week, I bring you musings, tips, and guest interviews in order to inspire and motivate my fellow creative innies. Find the show at thecreativeintrovert.com. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... What's up, guys? Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode number 58. My name is James Scully. I'd also like to say welcome to June on The Wall Breakers. This month's topic on Breaking Walls is community. That's because in America, in June, the month is filled with things like school graduations, flag day, all kinds of openings of beaches and public pools, hot dogs, ball games, roller coaster rides, family vacations, and most importantly, lots of smiles, lots of love, and lots of shared experiences. Speaking of shared experiences, one morning a few weeks ago, I was taking the R train in Brooklyn from the last stop at 95th Street to the World Trade Center in the Financial District by Cortland Street in Lower Manhattan. It was one of those mornings that I really just could have used some peace and quiet and personal space, and naturally, as anybody who's ridden the New York City subway system during rush hour can attest to, I received none of those things. Within four stops, the car was crowded with people talking so loudly that I could hear on the other end of the car people's conversations over the sound of my headphones that I was wearing. Which, those headphones, they were mostly pointless because at 9th Street, a mariachi band got on and serenaded the car with an impromptu, off-key performance until DeKalb Avenue. The entire experience reminded me of a story that my mother once told me. It was the 1980s. This was an era when subway graffiti signal malfunctions, and other train problems were rampant throughout the entire New York City subway system. On this hot summer evening, the commuters on their way home on the N-train were packed like sardines in a car with no air conditioning that naturally broke down. These people, they were hot, they were tired, they were hungry, they just wanted to go home. Anger was in the air, you could probably feel it, it was palpable. Suddenly a man with a saxophone entered the car from one of the doors that allows you to go between the two cars and he announced to a very annoyed world that he was there to play a Subway Symphony. Well, what is a Subway Symphony? This man proceeded to play the saxophone so badly that the mood in the car became one of bubbling rage. A literal riot almost ensued. But then something funny happened. You see, his saxophone playing was so bad, and the train was so crowded, and people were so hot and so hungry that it just made people realize how silly life at that moment was. And they broke down into hysterical laughter. This man made a fortune that night. And these people, they went home, albeit late, but with a much happier disposition that they had anticipated going home with. My mother's story and my own experiences riding the subway got me thinking about community. You know, our community isn't always the people we choose to spend time with. Every day we interact with people that ordinarily we wouldn't or wouldn't want to. And you know something? 
That's life though, right? Them's the breaks, kid. You can't always have everything we want at every moment we want it. Learning how to deal with people we don't want to or finding ourselves in unenviable situations and learning how to get out of them, that's part of life, you know? That's like part of leaving your house in the morning and venturing into the world. When we can feel comfortable within ourselves and within the world we live in, it allows us to tap into our community and bring more love and light into our own lives. Today on Breaking Walls, as part of our continuing series of Radio Chronicles, we'll take a look at various radio plays from the golden age of radio that took place on or around the New York City subway system. Now, before I go on, I just want to say that if this is the first time you're listening to Breaking Walls and would like to subscribe, you can do so at iTunes by searching for Breaking Walls, and you can also follow us on SoundCloud at The Wallbreakers. To check out our line of New York City Unity t-shirts, please go to jamesthewallbreaker.com shop, or you can also go to thewallbreakers.com shop. These are typographic t-shirts that use the slang names of the five boroughs of New York City to help show unity amongst all New Yorkers far and near. For those that do understand what it's like to be a New Yorker, like the story that I just told, obviously no explanation is necessary. And for those that have no idea, I'm sorry, just no explanation will suffice. And we, the Wallbreakers, we're on all social media outlets at The Wallbreakers, and we're on the web at thewallbreakers.com. From Hollywood, the CBS Radio Workshop. Desk clerk. General American 411, right away. Good afternoon, Arthur. Oh, hello, Mr. Shelby. Any messages for me? Well, not since I came on, sir. May I have my key, please? I'm sorry, Mr. Shelby, but the manager says not to give you your key until your bill's paid. Oh? It's 113 bucks and some odd cents. I know. You want I should call him so you can talk to him about it? No, never mind. Sorry, Mr. Shelby. It's not your fault, Arthur. I'll stop back in a couple of days to see if there's any mail. Yes, sir. Yes, please. I'm sorry, Mrs. Marshall. $14.60, 65, 66 cents. Well, I can eat for a week or so. And plenty of people sleep in the subway. In the March 1956 issue of Harper's Magazine, Edmund G. Love penned an article about a man named Henry Shelby whom, upon becoming locked out of his hotel apartment in 1953, decided to roam the streets of New York City until he figured out his next move. Three years later, he was not only surviving, but also becoming ingeniously adept at understanding what made a city like New York tick and how to go about piecing his life together in the most expensive and expansive city in the world. The CBS Radio Workshop was a revival of an earlier CBS series entitled The Columbia Workshop. The letters CBS stand for Columbia Broadcasting System. New York's local Channel 2 is the flagship property of the CBS Corporation. Its origins trace back to January 27, 1927, and it officially became the Columbia Broadcasting System in 1928. 
when the then 26-year-old William S. Paley took over as president. The CBS radio workshop was broadcast from January 27, 1956 to September 22, 1957. This episode, Subways Are For Sleeping, was broadcast at 8.30 p.m. on Friday, August 3, 1956. It starred Byron Kane and was announced by Larry Thor. The CBS radio workshop came on the air during the dying days of the American radio drama. That's notable because, due to a lack of sponsorship, what is known as a sustained program, the show was a place for experimental writing, acting, and sound design, and it helped push the medium of radio forward tremendously. This particular episode, and the story penned by Edmund G. Love that it was based on, was so influential that it led to a semi-related full-length book and a Broadway musical in 1961. CBS Radio presents the CBS Radio Workshop, dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. Tonight, Subways Are for Sleeping, based upon the Harper's Magazine article by Edmund G. Love, a true story of one man's strange adjustment to mid-century materialism in the largest city in the world. Have you ever gotten fed up with rents, taxes, and bills, and the clatter of telephones? With all the demands, large and small, that our complicated civilization makes upon us. Henry Shelby finally did. When they locked him out of his hotel room, he stayed out. For the past three years, he has, by choice, been homeless and without a steady job. Yet, Henry Shelby is no bum. He is as well-dressed and as smoothly shaven as the next man you'll meet. He's not stupid. He holds a master's degree in economics and is a former school teacher. He has never visited a soup kitchen or stood in a bread line or asked for a night's lodging at a Bowery mission. Still, he has learned for himself how to maintain his sanity and peace of mind in a confused and confusing society which takes from a man more than it gives. Henry Shelby has reversed the process, and this is how he does it. I'm getting along all right. I'm perfectly happy. I'm just waiting to see how things come out. In the meantime, I see to it that I always have at least 15 cents, so I'm sure of a place to sleep. And the truest statement I ever heard is that no one will ever starve to death in the United States. Eighty-six in the bean soup. All out of Yankee bean, Mac. Cream of tomatoes, okay. Tomato or bowl? Well, as I live and hope to, shall be. Hello, Ernie. So you've got the counterman wanted sign in the window. Yeah. Guy was here two weeks. Today he never shows. Want to go to work right now? Sure. Well, I'll go on back and grab a hat and jacket. I ain't even checked cash from breakfast yet. Okay, fine. Want a cup of coffee or something first? Go right ahead. No, I'm fine. Here's your soup, Mac. Crackers or bread? Crackers. Hey, ain't you the regular counterman? Me? I'm supposed to manage a joint. You give any bum comes along a job? Shelby ain't no bum, Mac. He's a college graduate. Huh. Michigan or someplace like that. Thank you.
The story of Henry Shelby is an interesting one because it's so much more common in 2017 than it was in 1953. I don't necessarily mean that more of us are living on the street, but why are so many of us abandoning societal norms, leaving day jobs, and looking to remove various financial and social tensions from our lives? Now, everybody's answer to this question is different, but I think we can all agree that in order to find and cultivate any passions, no matter what they are, a deep sense of community is necessary. Speaking of community, the announcer for this episode of the CBS Radio Workshop was Larry Thor. Thor was born in Manitoba, Canada in 1916. He had a long career as a radio announcer, a teacher, a newscaster, a writer, and the star of CBS's Broadway Is My Beat, in which he played Lieutenant Detective Danny Clover, whose beat was Times Square to Columbus Circle and all of the subway stops in between. Broadway's My Beat, from Times Square to Columbus Circle, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway's My Beat, with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. The wind of October begins its departure from Broadway, scatters the brown leaves of regret before it, piles them high at this corner and that, and the mob turns up its coat collar, drifts the autumn street and looks for a friend, looks, sees only the two-hour dream promised by the theater marquee, sees warmth on the other side of the plate glass windows, and sees this, the girl with the soft fur held close to her throat, covering her face right up to her eyes, and where she was is chillness. That was October. Image and farewell. Get moving, kid. And an evening above it, the place of no seasons, hospital corridor, where I was, and Detective Mugman. What about it, Danny? Is she going to live? Dr. Sinsky doesn't know. At least he says he doesn't know. He knows. A girl stabbed like that, she hasn't got a chance. Uh, mind if we sit down here on this bench and smoke? Oh. Uh. Just run it down for me, Mugman. The subway guard, Times Square, said it was 10 o'clock, give or take a couple of seconds, that he heard a scream. Local train had stopped, people getting on and off, rush, you know. So a girl screamed. Do you think the people stopped rushing to see what was the matter? No, they kept right Come on. Come on, Mugman, just tell me. The guard battled his way through to where the girl screamed. She had a knife in her. Yeah. Couldn't tell if she'd been on the train and was getting off or what. It called emergency ambulance, got her here about a half an hour ago. No witnesses? Oh, the usual crop. Each with a story of the way they figured it happened. Nothing. Identification? Lots of that. Wallet, usual stuff. Oh, here, wait a minute. Here. Yeah. I wrote it down for you. Uh, Mary Trevor, 1212 West 37th. What else? She was carrying an overnight bag, Danny. Been away or was going away for a day, two. Nightgown, under things, slippers. You know the stuff. A novel to read, a couple of women's magazines. She had a nice vacation, huh? has been an issue at various points of the subway's 113-year history. In fact, it was one on Brooklyn and Manhattan's elevated railroads prior to the subway's existence. I think we'd agree that generally, subway crime levels reflect the overall crime level of the city. 
but regardless of safety concerns, many people have always been wary of taking the subway. What makes this so? Is it a feeling of claustrophobia? Is it the inability to control our interactions in such a small public space? The subway does carry passengers throughout the entire city like an underground spiderweb. Anybody can get on or off at any point. That's scary. There's also the commotion. It's commonplace for people waiting to board the subway to rush through the doors at a station before people getting off have a chance to get out. And these people getting on, they race to get the last seat as if they're playing some kind of imaginary game of musical chairs. It's very frustrating. Perhaps also, the diversity of the subway forces us to confront our social fears. Have you ever heard someone say that people are echoes? What I mean is, whatever we're feeling on the inside, we manifest in the world around us, or at least we perceive things to be that way. Having a great day? Chances are, you'll see the good in your community. Having a terrible day? You know, the kind of day that makes your blood boil, makes levels of hate rise in you, for you, and for your fellow man and woman? Chances are, the subway is the last place you'd want to be. Suspense. Tonight's suspense brings you Miss June Havoc as star. But first, may we remind you that... In America's smartest homes and clubs, where fine wines are truly appreciated and enjoyed regularly, the choice is C-R-E-S-T-A, B-L-A-N-C-A, Cresta Blanca, Cresta Blanca. From the finest of the vines come Cresta Blanca California wines, patiently created to please the knowing tongue. Let the proudest name in wine, Cresta Blanca, enrich your daily living. Add luster to your hospitality. Pour Cresta Blanca souvenir sherry or port, or any Cresta Blanca wine. There's one for every occasion, for every taste. Shenley's Cresta Blanca Wine Company, Livermore, California. And now, Shenley brings you... Radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A. Roma Wines of Fresno, California. And starring June Habit in Subway. A suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Shenley by William Spear. The subway always gets to I have to stand back from the edge of the platform on a train coming in because, well, heights don't bother me or close any places or any of those other things that give some people the way. No. No, with me, it's the subway. The shining tracks and the train roaring in out of the black. But I always make myself stand way back when I'm waiting. That's how it started that night. I instinctively drew back when I saw the gleaming white headlight appear in the tunnel, rushing toward me out of the dark. I made myself draw back. But what I really wanted to do was to throw myself in front of that train. The lights on the shining rails hypnotized me like the gleaming eyes of a snake. in a panic, but that mob, that five o'clock mob poured in behind me and shoved and pulled me with it. I've been pushed around all day and I I had this awful cold. And I hated everybody. That's a terrible thing to say, I guess, but 
That's the way I felt, like committing murder. Oh, I was so tired. So worn out, my feet felt glued to my shoes. And of all the people in the world I didn't want to see, wouldn't that just have to be the night I was shoved right next to Ruth Carney? Oh, let's see him. Where have you been keeping yourself? I haven't seen you since the Academy. Hello, Ruth. My favorite actress. What are you doing these days? Oh, nothing. I, I worked in a drugstore for a while. Drugstore? You haven't deserted the theater, have you? I'm afraid I have. You, with all your talent. Ruth, I can't seem to find anything. But you, of all of us, well, you can't give up. You were so intense about it. Did you try some of stars? Try? Oh. I tried to get on all right, but... Yes, I know. I had to pay for the privilege of appearing in the summer theater. I did the Westport season. Prentice, you know. Oh, it was wonderful fun. And it's well worth it to me to be able to say I'd had professional experience. Well, that's fine. If you can afford it. Oh, it's awful the way you have to have money for everything these days. Yes, it is. Oh, don't, don't get too close to me, Ruth. I have the most awful sore throat. I just... And if you don't have money, you have to have Paul, don't you? Oh, and speaking of Paul, have you heard about me? No, I haven't. I'm general understudy for Night Laughter. The producer. John C. Whitner? Yes. Yes, he was an old friend of Dad's. He used to come over to dinner when I was little. I hear them talk about the theater, and I thought there'd be nothing in the world like being an actor. Such fun. All that glamour and all the sensational parties and everybody's so gay. Such fun. <laughs> Not the acting. Not the thrill of working at something you wanted to do so much that not doing it makes you not want to live. No. Oh, no. It's such fun. And parties. Wearing expensive suits like the one she had on. Ruth chattered on and I looked at her. The subway stopped. More people got on. Still more and more. Seemed as though they'd never stopped getting on. Someone would grab the doors and hold them open and they kept trying to close them. A fat man chewing a horrible cold cigar stub pushed me still closer to the roof and... I'm sorry. I, I jumped as something sharp stuck into my side. I was puzzled for a moment. And then I remembered the scissors Mother had asked me to get for her. They were very sharp and they'd ruined my purse. But it didn't make any difference. It was all like everything else I had. I closed my hand over the scissors and I held them tightly so they wouldn't do any more damage. And then, I don't know why, I found myself staring at Ruth's hat. It was so smart, so expensive, so everything that mine wasn't. I found myself hating Ruth's hat. Well, as I was saying, after Dad died, Mr. Ritner stopped coming over so often. So when I got bored with the Academy, I hopped right down to his office and I said, Mr. Ritner, do you remember Henry Connor? Well, I'm his daughter, Ruth. I want to be an actor. Of course, I don't expect this part right away. But maybe if I could get a walk on or something. Oh, imagine my nerve, Paula. <laughs> Saying that to a big producer like young C. Ritner. But anyway, that's what I did. And do you know what he said to me? No. No, what did he say to me? He said, Ruth, I admire your spunk. And if you're half as good an actress as your father was a set designer, you'll be all right. And he hired me, just like that. And your general understudy. That's me. <laughs> but no one's ever been sick. Confidentially, I'm glad. You're glad? Oh, yes. You see, I've never gotten up in any of the parts like I'm supposed to. If I ever had to go on, actually go on. Oh, I tell you, I get away with murder. Murder? I couldn't look at her face. I didn't even want to look at any of the passengers' faces. 
And when I raised my eyes, I saw still more faces simpering down at me from advertisements overhead. I hated everybody and everything. turned and looked outside the windows. The wet, slimy darkness was roaring past like black death. One faulty switch, one obstruction on the tracks could bring it crashing in on all of us. And who would be the losers? Not Ruth with her silly chatter. Not these other passengers with their tired, blank faces. And not me. Oh, certainly not me. My own tired, blank face was reflected in the window pane, gray and thin. And it didn't seem out of place shimmering in that... At its peak, Suspense, called Radio's Outstanding Theater of Thrills, was one of the highest-rated dramatic shows. It was at the height of its popularity when this episode, Subway, was broadcast on Thursday, October 30th, 1947. Sponsored by Roma Wines and later Autolite, each week, Suspense used famous screen and theater actors and actresses in title roles. Often, these voice roles were the polar opposites of the kind of roles the stars often portrayed. Harry Grant once said, if I ever do any more radio work, I want it to be on suspense, where I get a good chance to act. This episode starred the sultry June Havoc in the lead role. Oddly enough, June Havoc would marry suspense's producer and director William Spear the following year. At this moment in 1947, Spear was going through a divorce with Kate Thompson, writer of the Eloise children's book series. Perhaps working together on this production of Suspense sparked June Havoc and William Spears' romance. By the way, June Havoc was also the younger sister of the famed burlesque dancer and actress Gypsy Rose Lee. Here is Miss Havoc on the Dinah Shore show in 1979 speaking about listening to the radio while driving late at night. It absolutely fascinated me. It dealt with that part of her life that was baby June with her older sister, Gypsy Rose Lee. The book is called Early Havoc, and it was a big bestseller. Uh, she's had over 42 major film roles. She's an absolutely fascinating lady. Please welcome Miss June Havoc. because so many things have happened in her life. At first, you know, the book, I've always... Did they make a movie of this book? No, not yet. Maybe never will. I know where to begin with you, Dinah. Let me get this off my chest. I was going to say bosom. I know we can't, but all right. <laughs> you can't. I would like to say, I live in the country, you know, and um, I'm out a lot on the road, alone, at night. I told you once, you've forgotten. I turned on the radio in the car, and there was that silky-voiced lady. And there's no mistake in you, no matter uh, where I am. You. And it can be way out my Somebody field. was playing the records? Oh, good. Oh, all the time. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> all the time. I'll, I'll make very good friends with that disc jockey. No, I, I want to talk. During to the radio you. days, Dinah Shore had a show in which she sung songs and told stories. Here is a haunting clip of her 9.45 p.m. show the evening of December 7, 1941, also known as Pearl Harbor Day. Well, Dinah, are you going to sing a song tonight for some branch of the service as you have on past programs? 
Harry, two weeks ago, I received a request from five boys stationed out on Tiny Wake Island, 4,000 miles out in the Pacific. I promised then I would sing their song for them tonight. In spite of all that has happened, I shall, and I hope they're listening, because if singing their song can bring them a little bit of happiness and bring home a little closer, especially tonight, believe me, I'm mighty proud to sing it. So for our fellas out on Wake Island, 7,000 miles away from us here in New York, here's their song, How Deep is the Ocean. How much do I love you? I'll tell you no lie. How deep is the ocean? How high is the sky? Another war bulletin. Canada has declared war on Japan. Keep tuned to this station for further developments. How far would I travel To be where you are How far is the journey from here to a star I ever lost you How much would I cry How deep is the ocean How high is the connect these dots to show how important our sense of community is. Sure, there's vulnerability associated with interacting with strangers inside the subway, but just think about how many wonderful hellos and even bittersweet goodbyes have been said inside a subway station. It's six in the evening as Kate Beekman, on her way to meet Gordy Weber at Grand Terminal Station, leaves her home, walks to the subway station, goes downstairs and through the turnstile. Officer McInerney, Jay McInerney. Oh, hello, Kate. I'm very fine, thank you. Could I ask you something, sir? Yes, ma'am. Are you angry with me? Uh, me? Angry at you? Because I didn't stay in the lighted part of the park, like you said. I said I was wrong, Officer McInerney. I know that men would never have bothered me if Kate, I... Kate, I wasn't mad at you. Then why didn't you speak to me? I saw you last night, and you saw me. I know you did. A and this afternoon. But you didn't speak. Why didn't you? Well, I, uh, uh, uh here's your train, Kate. Well, there'll be another one, and I've plenty of time for an answer. It hurts me when my friends don't speak. Why, I wouldn't hurt you for anything in this wide, wide world, Kate Beekman. Oh. You didn't speak to me. Well, I, uh, I wasn't sure you wanted me to. I, uh... I didn't want to remind you of that fellow. You couldn't remind me of him? Well, you... You just couldn't. <laughs> well, then I'll mend my ways and mind my manners and speak at all times hereafter. <laughs> <laughs> but see that you do, sir. That's a promise, Sergeant. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> now, can I ask you another question? Uh, well, now, I don't know. Your questions kind of knock a man off his feet. Uh, but I'll, I'll take a chance. You're a brave man, sir. Anyhow, curious. Well? Well, it's about Skipper. I've got a little white and brown dog. Well, now, when'd you get him? Today. Oh, he's the cutest thing, Jay. Um, Mr. McInerney. Why don't you call I've never had a dog. Isn't he supposed to have a collar and a tag? Yes, ma'am. And rabies shots. And he's got to be registered. Oh, dear. Oh, he's such a sweet little dog. Well, I suppose I'll have to do it. But... This is program number 2689 of The Perry Mason Show, originally broadcast from New York on New Year's Eve 1953. While the character of Perry Mason attained its highest level of fame on television while being portrayed by Raymond Burr between 1957 and 1966, the radio show was a precursor to it, running on CBS in a 15-minute continuation format between October 18, 1943 and December 30, 1955. This episode, aptly titled, Kate Speaks to Officer McInerney at Grand Central Terminal, aired on 2.45 p.m. that New Year's Eve day, 1953. In case you're interested. Uh, in fact, uh, how about we, uh, that is you and me, not Skipper, uh, go and have a cup of hot chocolate now? Oh. No? Oh, I, I'm sorry. Well, no offense. I thought if you had time... Well, I, I do have to take the next train. I, I'm going to say goodbye to the man who gave me Skipper. Oh? Fell I know? <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, well, it was nice of him to give you the dog, and uh, you're telling him goodbye, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, you'd better scoot here. Your subway's in. I, I'd rather go have hot chocolate with you, but he's leaving from Grand Terminal Station, there's nobody else to tell him goodbye. But it, it's such a lonely feeling when you go away and there's nobody to say goodbye. But I'd better go. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow, huh? Yes. It's lonely saying goodbye in any station. Or any time to that sweet girl. Ah, look at you, Jay McInerney, mooning like a sick calf. Anyhow, I'm glad she's telling the fellow goodbye. As I mentioned earlier, there is a belief that we as people, we're echoes. We create in the world around us whatever we're feeling internally. The subway is similar because it takes us places underground and the journey is very important. But the other side of that, the yin and the yang, is that we always set out to get somewhere. Eventually, all of us, we must come up from out of this underground maze. And when we emerge, we have changed because our surroundings have changed. And thus refreshed, Henry Shelby sets out again to roam the streets of New York. First stop, to leave his laundry somewhere in the Grand Central area. He owns two of everything except for his one suit, and he'll pick up this bundle in a few days. Bathe and change in a booth at Grand Central Terminal, and drop the soil clothing off at another laundry in the vicinity. I carry a safety razor in my pocket, and I shave at least every 36 hours. It costs 25 cents for a booth, but I can freshen up generally at the same time. The bums who look like bums are mainly the ones the cops bother. Naturally, I don't consider myself a bum, so I make it a point not to look or feel like one. Yes, New York offers many diversions... There is the waterfront, 
to the ferry boats, the slips where the huge liners dock. I come down here a couple of times a week. I always try to be around when the Mary or the Elizabeth are coming in. Now, what's that wee hawking ferry doing a quarter mile off her course? Just sightseeing, I'll bet. Or I heard Captain ought to have his confounded papers picked up. Shelby enjoys the ferry boats, all of them, but his favorite is the Staten Island Ferry. There's nothing quite like it in the world. Outward bound from the battery, there's the thrill of passing the Statue of Liberty. And coming back, Miss Liberty welcomes you home as the incredible skyline of lower Manhattan hangs shimmering in the haze, like the pleasure dome of Kublai Khan. Where else can a poor man get such an ocean voyage for a dime? Of course, ten cents for one round trip does put the Staten Island Ferry in the luxury class. But during the rush hours, Shelby has discovered that he can board the Jersey Central Ferries across the Hudson and make three or four trips for the same dime without being noticed. The waterfront is one of my favorite places in New York because it connects the five boroughs in New Jersey much like the subway. No matter how busy or how much noise is created by those barges, tugboats, raucous workers on the many New York piers, docks, slips, and wharfs, there's a sense of endless horizon the water always offers to me and returns me to a state of peace. Luckily, by the way, these days, the Staten Island Ferry is free. Of course, by the early 1960s, engineers and politicians were clamoring for ways to make the subway journey a more quiet and peaceful one for its passengers. The results, though, eh, they were decidedly mixed. Uh, what were we going to do here? I think, uh, Wally Blue is down in the subway. Somewhere. Oh, okay. Come in then, please. Wally Blue, wherever you may be. Blue here. You'll be, uh, 42nd Street Station of, uh, subway. We're down here to get a cross-section of views of folks who are riding the new quiet subway that went into operation just a few days ago. Maybe you can hear in the background the very quiet noise that the subway makes as it pulls in and out of the station. How about you, sir? Yes. Do you find that your life has changed, Eddie, since the silent subway was put into operation? Oh, yes. I used to go home and be a nervous wreck. You know, the constant clatter and yelling and screaming. Uh-huh. Now I go home just as serene as a king on his throne. In other words, you lose your temper less frequently than you did before as a result of this. Oh, yes. I'm much more even-tempered now. And, uh, and, uh, when I, I find that when I get home, I'm, I'm much nicer fellow to get along with. Do you find that, uh, people are more friendly on the subway? Do ladies get up and give you their seats? No, uh, ladies haven't ever gotten up to give me a seat. Uh, however, I find more men. I can't hear you, so. I find more men. In other words, more etiquette, more politeness, more politeness, uh, all around, uh, generally. That's right. I'd say that that's the way uh, I've noticed things turn. Uh, I really uh, am so excited about it, and I know that all the other people who have been riding these uh, new uh, quiet subways uh-huh. uh-huh. are just as nice as pie to get along with. You don't have anybody snapping at each other. You don't have Say that it has been a success. Something you're very proud of. Well, that's how our city works, and that's how it goes down there in the subway office. Uh, 
Thank you, Wally. Very interesting report. Bob Elliott and Ray Goulding's comedic duo had a five-decade partnership. Typically, their comedy satirized serious broadcasts by conducting off-the-wall interviews in a deadpan style. That little snippet originally aired in 1963. Bob and Ray wouldn't have been the first to use the subway to try to pull off a clever hoax. The Avenger's sworn enemy of evil is actually Jim Brandon, a famous biochemist. Through his numerous scientific experiments, Brandon has perfected several inventions to aid him in his crusade against crime as the Avenger. Most remarkable of these inventions is the highly secret diffusion capsule, which cloaks him in the black light of invisibility. Brandon's assistant, the beautiful Fern Collier, is the only one who shares his secrets and knows that he is the man the underworld fears as the Avenger. And now, The Avenger and the Subway Ghost. The Avenger, some would say a knockoff of The Shadow, had two distinct broadcast runs. The first was out of New York for WHN between 1941 and 42, and the second, from which this broadcast titled The Subway Ghost aired on October 19, 1945, was transcribed into syndication between 1945 and 46. James Monks starred as Jim Brandon, with Fern Collier as his assistant and secret keeper Helen Adamson. Okay, come on. I'll open the door and you can take care of the introductions. Hi, right, Larry. That's me. Never in the out of this booth. No passengers. Larry. Police. Yes, I'm Inspector White, and this is Jim Brandon. We're riding with you on this trip. Ah, oh, I get it. Get after the ghost. That's right. Did you ever see the ghost, Larry? No, I never did. It's very little stock I put in the story they tell of it. Well, three motormen on this line swear they saw it, and their stories check on the place where it appeared. Oh, I didn't know it appeared in the same place all the time. Well, it did, approximately anyway. This particular run is five minutes between stops. Each of those men claims he was two and a half minutes out when he saw the ghost. Say, it's right around the spot where that track walker was killed two years ago. Uh, Larry, what's that red light just ahead there? Yeah, it's a track inspector, most likely. Yeah, he's swinging his lantern. That's a signal they use to show they're off the tracks. It's almost time, Inspector. Keep your eye peeled for the ghost. You know, I always figured I was as superstitious as the next man. But this subway ghost business is a little too thick for me to swallow. Larry. There's a man in the middle of the track. Stop! Come on! Watch out for that third rail or you won't go far. He should have landed right along here. Flash the lights around. Well, I'll take this side, Larry. You go with Jim. Okay. He must be under the train. Not under this first car. Come on. We'll work our way back. He's got to be here someplace. Uh... Don't sign him on this side of the track, Jim. Uh, what could have happened to that man? Well, one thing is certain, he's not here. But the train ran over him. We saw that with our own eyes. There's no use holding the train up any longer. Uh, what do you make of it, Jim? Well, Inspector, my guess is that we've had our first encounter with the subway ghost. Well, whatever it was, it certainly disappeared into thin air. Okay, Larry. Close the door and let's get going. I'm glad all three of us saw it. 
I swear I wouldn't trust my own eyes if I'd been by myself. Ah, we're up against something here, Jim. I don't happen to believe in ghosts. I don't either, Inspector, but this one promises to be rather difficult to explain. That ghost couldn't have been anything but dimension because there was no place for it to hide and no time for it to run away. Well, what are we going to do? We'll get off at the next stop. Now that we've seen the ghost, we'll have to figure out some way to trap him. So, the patternless pattern of Henry Shelby's days, and the days of perhaps thousands like him, men who choose to work only enough to maintain a bare thread of personal existence in a society that clamors for workers and rewards them with possessions and security and the same comfortable resting place each nightfall. Where does Henry Shelby sleep? A clean hotel bed is a once-a-month extravagance to him. Perhaps he trudges to the Pennsylvania station and boards an 8th Avenue subway train at about 1 o'clock in the morning. That's why his cash minimum is 15 cents, the price of a subway token. He settles himself in the almost empty front car and drops off to sleep. He awakens before he reaches the end of the line, has a smoke, boards another train, and sleeps at the other end of the line. He has several standard trips mapped out, J Street to Queens, back to the Brooklyn end of the line, up to the tip of Manhattan, back to Penn Station. In five hours, he has probably netted four hours sleep. He has learned the habits of the transportation police, and he tries to keep himself from becoming too familiar a figure. Come on there, mister. Come on, wake up, up, uh, up, up. Oh. Oh, well, I certainly dozed off, didn't I, officer? You certainly did. You think this is a flop house? Of course not. It's very obviously Grand Central Terminal. That it is, and we don't allow bums to nap their bibs in here. Bums? I ought to resent that, officer. Well, resent it all you like. Seems to me I've seen you in here before. Well, that's quite possible. I take the two o'clock local for Poughkeepsie almost every night. I missed it tonight, so I'm waiting for the next train. Uh, 6-5, I believe it is. It is. Can you prove you're not a vag? A what? A vagrant. You got any money on you? Why, yes. Uh, let me see. Six, seven, eight dollars. And here's my ticket to Poughkeepsie. Mm-hmm. Well, you'd better get going, mister, or you'll miss your train. What? Yes, it's two minutes after six. Oh, I had no idea. I nearly overslept. That you did. Thank you so much for awakening me. Not at all. That's what I'm here for. Yes. Well, I must say you're right on the job. You bet I am. That's gate nine, mister, the Poughkeepsie local. Yes. Well, I don't want to miss it this time. No, you don't. So, for the first time, Henry Shelby had to take the train for Poughkeepsie under the suspicious glare of the railroad cop. But the ticket was never punched, for he got off the train at 125th Street to begin another day of Manhattan meandering. Henry Shelby is never without three tickets. One to Poughkeepsie, one to Princeton, and the third to Elizabeth, New Jersey. His operating equipment for sleeping in the three major terminals. I don't know how long I'll live this life. I don't have much trouble. I've never gotten drunk and lain in the doorway all day. 
I've never been on a police blotter. I've never had to beg. Things seem so easy and natural, just as though they were supposed to be this way. I'm not going to look at the future. All I know now is that at six o'clock, I'm going to be at a little delicatessen up on Broadway where they serve a mighty fine boiled beef dinner for 68 cents. And I'd better get going. Takes me almost an hour to walk it. Why don't I take the subway? Why, subways are for sleeping. The old-time radio shows featured in today's episode were the CBS Radio Workshops, Subways Are For Sleeping, originally broadcast on CBS Friday, August 3rd, 1956, Broadway Is My Beat, The Mary Trevor Murder Case, also originally broadcast on CBS Saturday, October 25th, 1952, Suspenses, Subway, originally broadcast on CBS Thursday, October 30th, 1947, Perry Mason's Kate Speaks to Officer McInerney on the way to Grand Central Terminal, this also was broadcast on CBS Thursday, December 31st, 1953. And The Avenger, The Subway Ghost, originally broadcast in transcription on Friday, October 19th, 1945. All of these episodes, by the way, are available in full at various locations on the internet. If you're interested in browsing titles or learning more, I'd go to the Old Time Radio Researchers Library, which is at otrlibrary.org. It's a great resource. Everything there is for free, by the way. So if you're interested in learning more about Old Time Radio, you can browse titles. And if you have questions and want to know more, reach out to me. I know a great deal about Old Time Radio, obviously, and I can help set you on your way. And uh, today's lone music credit belongs to Barney Kessel for Salute to Charlie Christian, originally recorded in 1953. I'm also going to link to the clip of June Havoc on the Dinah Shore Show in 1979. It's available on YouTube. I want to do so because if you see this clip, you'll be amazed to know that both of these women were in their 60s at the time. They look at least 15 years younger. And to me, it just goes to show how important it is to find our passions in life and be willing to put ourselves out there and tap into our community to connect with others. It absolutely 100% keeps us young and keeps us wanting to be alive every day. Now, as I mentioned on the open... If you've gotten this podcast via thewallbreakers.com or some other web means and would like to subscribe, you can do so on iTunes by searching for Breaking Walls, and you can do so on SoundCloud by going to soundcloud.com slash thewallbreakers or just searching for The Wallbreakers on SoundCloud. The Wallbreakers Unity t-shirt line is available either at james, thewallbreaker.com slash shop, or simply thewallbreakers.com slash shop. Episode 59 of Breaking Walls will be available on June 15th. It's an episode I'm very excited to bring to you. We're going to get an exclusive look inside one of the premier acting studios in New York City, and we'll find out more about what makes this studio tick. It's been a very rainy year thus far in America's Northeast. Seems like it's been raining since November, to be honest. But it's June 1st, and that means that beaches, they're officially open. If you live in New York City and want to get to one of the many beaches, you're in luck. The subway goes to many of them, especially Coney Island. And if you're at Coney Island, then tune into Breaking Walls episode number 57 to learn more about Coney Island's history. I hope that you're feeling good about life this June. If there's anything I can do to help you and your situation, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. My email is james at thewallbreakers.com. 
Also, as you can tell, I didn't really provide any history of the subway in this episode. If you are interested in doing that and want to know more about the history of the New York City subway, there's plenty of resources available, but in particular, I would go to the Bowery Boys. They're a podcast, the Bowery Boys, and in 2011, in the summer, they did a Bowery Boys on the go feature where all summer they broadcast episodes on the history of public transportation in New York City. It's fantastic. So, with that being said, it's June 1st, guys. I hope that you're feeling good about life. My name is James Scully. I'd like to thank you for tuning in to Breaking Walls episode number 58. And until June 15th, I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you very much. This is WBBN, the Wallbreakers Broadcasting Network. Thank you, and good afternoon.